0: begin at the 19th, Be verses 19 to 25 from Hebrews, I just ask that you hear these words of our Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true, sincere heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God still speaking today. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We began with, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what this saying is, if anyone truly believes, he's taken a lot of time in this letter to explain and compare and contrast, here's the Old Testament, the old way with the New Testament in Jesus. If you believe what he's telling you in this, what has been explained, that faith should give you confidence. You should have confidence by what I explained to you. Confidence that you have access to God, and confidence in who our advocate is. Kent Hughes is in, in his commentary on the Book of Hebrews. He he made it and sounded like this, he explained it like this was very well. I just want to read us few sentences he says so we come here to the great turning point in hebrews where the writer turns from explanation of the superiority of the person in the work of christ to the application of it in the lives of the storm-tossed church if we remember we believe that this letter was written to a small gathering a, a small body of christians in rome they were being persecuted they faced great difficulty so what happened is this shift. He he continues is can be stated in these ways: from doctrine, what we believe, to duty; from creed to conduct; from rules to practice; from instruction to exhortation. All of me, all of which mean one thing. He writes. The writer is becoming very explicit regarding how Christians should be living. And that was applicable back then. The people who first received this letter and the churches, the early church, as they passed it around and read it. What it's what it's doing is, what it's saying is we have confidence in being able to access God. We can access God anytime. And we also have confidence in Jesus, who is our advocate between us and God. And if you have this confidence, when you have this confidence, then you're able to, as Scripture says, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's one of the most important differences between the old and the new. The old, you could not approach God. You had to go through this process, and only the high priest once a year could enter into the holy and holy, the holiest of holies, to enter into the presence of God. With the new covenant, anyone, through their faith in Jesus Christ, at any time, can have and has access to God. James 4.8 puts it like this and gives us this great promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will. That's a promise, draw near to you. Doesn't that sound like, if we think back to last week, we had the seed, the sower of the seed, which was God's word. Doesn't you, don't you think that's a, a word that's worth sowing, that you can access God anytime. He loves you that much. He wants to hear from you. God has promised that if you draw near to him, he is going to draw near to you. So as I was reflecting, I was saying, well then, why do I, why do many of us forget and neglect this wonderful opportunity that we have in Christ? Is it possible that we get so wrapped up in the worldly concerns, what's going on in our lives, what's going on in the lives in the world, that we simply forget to draw near to God? How much of our daily lives do we spend Drawing near to God. And what happens when we don't prioritize drawing near to God in our lives? And as I was, again, reflecting on this, I found this great illustration from that fourth chapter of James. And let me just read a few verses. Fourth chapter of James, beginning at the first verse, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then verse 7, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that verse I read before, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I can't speak for you. I don't want to speak for you. But I know in my life, when I'm not drawing myself close to God, when my focus isn't on Christ, but on the things in the world, the things going on in my life, that kind of stuff is what happens. I become distracted with worldly concerns. So how can we change that? How can we prioritize drawing near to God in our lives? And to help with that, I'm going to be talking about what I'm going to be calling the triad of faith. It's in all these verses, those six verses that I read it contains this triad of faith and a triad if you're wondering is just a group of three things that are connected somehow and for us as Christians we have this triad of faith which are just Christian virtues that we have been given and John Wesley actually called this triad the choicest graces and he did that in a sermon he called on the means of grace and he wrote The choices, graces which God bestows upon us are faith, hope, and love. These are the grand essentials of religion without which all other gifts are useless and indeed dangerous. Wesley said in that sermon that without faith, hope, and love, all the other gifts we get from God... All the gifts that God bestows upon us are useless and they can even be dangerous if we don't have faith, hope, and love. These Christian virtues. So let's talk about first faith. Every person walking the earth today has faith. An atheist. They say, I don't believe in God. They have faith that there is no God. That's their faith. They're placing their faith in their belief that there is no. No, God. That's what they believe. They can't prove it, but that's their faith. In Christianity, our faith is we trust that God is who God said he is. And that God will do what God said he will do. We believe in one God, the Trinity, the Triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Three distinct personalities one God. We can't prove the Trinity, but that's what we have faith in based on our life experiences and what God's word shows us. I think everyone understands what hope is. Hope is feeling that something we desire, an outcome that we want a better way, can or will happen. You have this optimistic state of mind that based on an expectation of positive outcomes, we're hoping for this to get better, for this to happen in the world, for something in people with health concerns, we're we're hoping and praying that they're going to be healed. We can simply say that hope is just the confident expectation of good things to come. And in Christianity, our Christian hope is the belief that even in the middle of the storms of our life, when we have serious problems, God is still working for us. He's working for our good some way, somehow. And we believe that God will care for and provide for us here and now in our mortal bodies, but also in that eternity that we have through our salvation. Faith and hope. They're very closely related, but they aren't quite the same thing. Faith is disbelieving in something that's not seen. And hope, hope's this confident expectation of the good things that are going to happen. Some people, they, th- they believe they need faith, and they need faith in order to have hope. While other people say they can hope without faith. God's Word tells us that hope, if we hope, if our hope is based on things of the world, eventually we're going to get let down when we place our faith and hope in things of the world. In Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, For what would profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his soul? And hope can motivate us to take action. When we are... Believing that something good is going to come out of whatever, then we want to take action to help that good thing happen. Faith and hope work together to help us overcome challenges and to achieve goals we may have in our lives. So that faith and hope are important. They're important virtues that we have. Ultimately, it's going to be love that spurs us into action, taking action. Apostle Paul wrote that love is the greatest also in the the love chapter as it's commonly called in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 Paul writes, so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love So let's talk specifically now about love and why it's so important First specifically in these verses there's a Greek word that's used because in Greek they have several words they use for love because there's different types of love and the word used here, the Greek word is agape and agape love is really the highest form of love it's often described as being selfless an unconditional love and sacrificial and that, this agape love it's not based on feelings it's not based on emotions and it was lived out by Jesus in his life. And he demonstrated this for his disciples by washing their feet. And then he commanded his followers to love one another as he has loved them. Again, that's agape love. And Jesus also said this in Matthew 22 verses 39 to 40. He was asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So again, the the Greek, when you go back to the original transcripts, they're in Greek and the the word they use for the love there is that very specific agape love. He's describing this love as an action. You shall love God. You shall love one another. Now that's a, a verb, so it's a little different. The Greek word used in the shall love is agapeo, which is just a, a different form of agape. But that's agape love in action, you could say. And what happens is when you realize how much God truly and deeply loves you, loves who you are, no matter what your life situation is, no matter what's going on in your life, how much God loves you, you're experiencing agape love. And this love is not just a lack of hatred. Well, if I don't hate them, then I guess I'm loving them. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Agape love is the selfless act of giving to other people even when it's difficult. Those words of Jesus, shall love, they're a verb. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. Agape love is love in action. Loving our neighbors as ourselves, that's what Jesus commands us to do. And someone once tried to get around that. He said, well, Jesus... Who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded by telling him the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you ever are questioned, Oh, that neighbor I have. Is that my neighbor? Someone walking down the street and God speaks to you? Is that my neighbor? Read the story of the Good Samaritan. Because what that parable, what that story tells us is anyone in need who we can help that's our neighbor. That's who God thinks our neighbor is. That's what Jesus said. That's what God's word clearly shows us. Love is an action. Again, James from the second chapter, this time verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. John wrote this, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. See, agape love is what compels us to actively seek the well-being of other people. Faith is our foundation. Hope is the journey we're on. But agape love, that's the destination. That's the destination that drives our lives forward into becoming more like Jesus. As Christians, we need all three, faith, hope, and love. And again, from these verses today, there's an important way that this triad of faith is expressed, and it's when we gather together Christianity, our Christian faith is not meant to be lived out alone with without. We need the fellowship of other faithful people. We need each other. Think about the gospel story that we heard earlier about the parable of the the weeds and the wheat. There's going to be weeds surrounding us. When we're trying to grow in faith, some weeds might be blocking out what we need. We need other faithful people to help us clear out those weeds that might cause us harm, that might lead us astray. And if we think of the gospel story from last week, the parable of the sower, sower, that good seed that hit the good soil, it produced a bounty 30, 60, 100 times more. We need to help care for those seeds planted in that good soil. You know, God has blessed us with this triad of faith. And you can think of it like a tripod. You know, we use tripods, we put cameras on them. Why? So we get a better picture. So it's holding us still, that, that camera. The triad of faith is like a tripod for our lives. So we can become all that God has created us to be. And if any part of this triad, this faith, hope, or love, maybe it's not strong enough in that area for some reason, that's when God will use other people to help us build that back up. I want to close with the 24th verse from today's scripture. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We have faith when we trust in those promises of God. Through Christ, we have hope. We have hope. We're confident in our salvation. And with the triad of faith supporting us the love of God. This agape love is going to grow in our life. It's going to flow out of our lives into the lives of others. My hope is that this triad of faith will just be a reminder to you of the importance of faith, hope, and love in your life. God provides all we need so we can live by faith, hope, and love. Amen.